get started with our next session. Um, and as you've already met any, um, please welcome any to the stage to talk to you about um, enrolled nursing, what's your relevance? So thank you, any. Can you remove your papers here? Well, hello again, and thank you very much, Philippe, for asking me to come and talk to your lovely group of enrolled nurses here. Now, Susan Taylor's still in the room. Yes, Susan tells me she's got you well warmed up, whipped you into a CPD frenzy, so I expect you to be involved and want to work with me a bit when we get to that point. So... When Philippe first asked me to come up and do this talk, he said he'd asked me if I'd give a motivational talk. Now, I think Philippe may have been to too many rallies, but I think he, oh, he's just trying to say, please, at least be a tiny bit interesting. So I did just try and think about what he wanted, and I think what he was really asking for was for me to bring up a topic that's maybe a little challenging, a bit thought-provoking, and something that we can have a good discussion about. So that's what I'm hoping we might be able to do. So I came up with thinking about, well, enrolled nursing, enrolled nurses, what's your relevance? What's your role in the healthcare system today? And what, what is the contribution that you make? Now, I realise that this might be a little bit of a confronting and maybe slightly provocative question, but that's what I'm hoping to do. And I think we have to talk about this because what could be more fundamental than examining the importance or otherwise for your own existence? Because to know that is to know your future. And I'm assuming that because you're here at a forum like this, that you're committed to the profession of nursing and particularly committed to enrolled nursing and to the future of enrolled nursing. Am I right? Lovely. So, what is the future for enrolled nursing? Is it set for extinction? <laughs> Some very positive comments from the front here. Or is it ready to forge new territories? Okay, now I want you not to answer just yet. Some of these questions are rhetorical for the moment. <laughs> I want you to be interactive, but when I tell you. Um, so I want you to think about some of the things I'm just gonna say to you first up. So I think there's a second and more important question. What do you want your future to be? What do you want the future of enrolled nursing to look like? So I want you to just start maybe considering some questions. What's the role of enrolled nurses in Australia? Are you a stopgap? Yes. Are you used? <laughs> won't take rhetorical for a. Um, are you used to fill shortages? Are you the cheaper? And I'm intending to maybe make this a little uncomfortable. Um, I will be nice at the end, I promise. Um, are you the cheaper option for service providers? Or are you the mainstay? the backbone of Australia's health and aged care systems. All right, just a few more questions to think about. Are, you, are the skills of enrolled nurses exploited or maximised? Is enrolled nursing being held back and squeezed out, top from the bottom? Or is it expanding? 
Is the ro role of en enrolled nursing what we, the nursing profession, want it to be? Or most critically, is the role of enrolled nursing what you, enrolled nurses, want it to be? Okay, so they're the questions thrown out for you. I want you now just to hold on for them, to them for a moment. While I would like to take a minute, or about 20 minutes, to reflect on how enro enrolled nursing has developed. Because I think to understand where we are now, and the best way for us to go forward, we need to consider what's gone before. So, now I want you to start answering questions that I ask you, if you have the answer. So to start, what's the most striking feature of the nursing profession? No, no, if you look at every nurse, all nurses, what's the thing that absolutely stands out if you're an outsider? We're women. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the delightfully handsome men in this room. What the thing is, is that it's overwhelmingly female. It always has been and it continues to be almost 90% female. Now that's a fact that brings a number of issues to the profession, its development and its advancement. So I'm going to go way back. When did nursing begin? You know what? So everyone can say Florence, Crimean War. There were some. Where? Okay. Before then, I'm going to take you further back. You know what? Actually, since the beginning of recorded history, Women have been associated with health and healing, starting from nurses and midwives in the 5th, 4th, 2nd, you know, BC, and then continuing on into the AD. So, the, so if we go back that 2nd century BC, that is one of the first nurses in ancient Greece. So then the dominance of the Roman Empire brought many developments. They were, you know... <laughs> ruthlessly brutal, but they made good roads. And they also introduced a public health system. Actually, they were very efficient at lots of things. So they, with advancements in public health, were induced by religion. So after Romans as well, Christianity and Catholicism particularly really took hold from 300 AD. Noble women took responsibility for caring of the sick and the needy as their charitable duty, even some of them turning their mansions into um, hospitals. In the fourth century AD, this woman is called Fabiola, a noble woman who founded the first general hospital known in the world, but of the Romans. From then, Christian men and women um, went on to form hospitals annexed to monasteries, so it started becoming a religious thing. And as orders of nuns started to develop, they took over the responsibility for running of hospitals and they've done it for centuries. Still today, Sisters of Charity and Catholic hospitals, you know, there's still nuns running, not nearly as many, of course, as there used to be, but the Catholics are still have a very big input into health. During medieval times, which is the final picture up there, 
Women expanded their role from just carers of the sick to more general health care. They developed herbal remedies and other curative techniques. So they, starting as noble women, they developed for centuries into independent and respected health practitioners. Then, in the 13th century, an alternative group of healers emerged and rapidly established themselves as the medical profession. So while nurses and midwives, the female and the female healers began, began to be persecuted as yeah, so this is what happened. By that. that is actually supposedly a painting of a French midwife being burnt. Now, this set the scene for nursing for the next several hundred years, like you said when you said men, but it wasn't, very, wasn't a great show at the time. So it had been. It had been this really great respected thing for centuries. But then, women were barred from the emerging profession of medicine. They were barred from universities and schools that were developing to teach new sciences. They were restricted to nursing, which by the 18th century had become, come to be regarded as vulgar, a vulgar form of domestic service often performed by drunks and prostitutes. Let's hope some of that's changed. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Nursing was not an activity which was thought to demand either skill or training, nor did it command respect. It was said that nursing was left to those who were too old, too weak, too drunken, too dirty, too stupid or too bad to do anything else. The intimate body services to be done for the patient were considered to be unseemly or immodest for young, unmarried, or well-bred females, especially if not a, female, a family member. Cleaning and feeding of another person were regarded as domestic tasks performed by servants. But then came, of course, Florence Nightingale. So towards the middle of the 19th century, a new movement began, establishing systematic training of nursing. Now actually, in eight, so we all locate it. We all locate the beginning of nursing with Florence Nightingale. And she was incredible and amazing. But there was a movement that was starting before her. In 1836, a Lutheran minister in Germany set up an institute for training nurses and that's where she learnt her skills. She was fortunate enough to be clever, really clever, and in those, well-bred, and in those times to have a father who believed in educating his daughters, which was really different for those times. So Florence goes to school, gets all the skills, and the rest, of course, as they say, is history. But so while she was developing her knowledge and skills, the training of nursing was actually spreading across the world. It's really interesting in getting this together, looking at how things have developed. Almost all of the time, everything is kind of traveling around the globe without the internet at pretty much the same time. It's really interesting how these developments are occurring. So it spread, nursing schools spread to England and America and reached Australia even, even by 1838 when five sisters, of course the nuns, sisters of charities came here. But it wasn't till, really till, and you mentioned the Crimean War, when the administration of Florence Nightingale had such an incredible impact. Do you know how, what she reduced the death rate in the military hospitals out in the Crimea? 
No, not how she did it, by what she... Do you know, it was 42% death rate to 7%. And she started... OK, this is not all going to be about Florence Nightingale, I promise. But, you know, she started keeping statistics. She was, like, the first person to really map it out in a public health sense of what made differences to people. And really, it was from her, as you suggest, that nursing, the profession of nursing, really began to develop. So what starts to happen from here becomes even more important in the terms of the development of nursing as a profession. We've gone from women as healers being revered and respected with noble women and those close to God as nurses to a total lack of respect. So Florence Nightingale is picking it up in the era when there is a total lack of respect and nurses are regarded as prostitutes and drunkards in just those few centuries. Now, it's interesting, because the other thing is, while I'm saying that everybody's developing sort of in a similar way, and I'm talking about the Western world, of course, um, it tracks what happens with women, women's development. You know, women get the vote, nurses get registration, etc. That's an interesting parallel. But, as we've said, from Florence Nightingale, nursing as we've mostly known it, developed. She laid down the central characteristics of nursing. They lasted for centuries, and really, we still hold on to them a lot of today, a lot of them today. But it's fair to say that nurses have struggled for decades and decades to gain professional status. Now, I think that some of this has been particularly difficult for the second-level nurse. Okay, now we're going to hold that and we're going to talk about that with a few more things. So if we say that Florence Nightingale was the first one to commence professionalisation of nursing, then we can say that she's also the first one to introduce two genuine levels of nurse. She created two divisions, trained nurses and untrained nurses, who could have been all, all sorts of different types of assistants, nursing assistants, but also orderlies. So then as the movement for proper education and training, the nursing schools of nurses began to spread throughout the Western world, so did the establishment of the two levels of nurse. That spread throughout the world. By the turn of the century and the early 1900s, the, regist the registered nurse and then what was known as the nurse's aide, the nurse's assistant, the auxiliary nurse, there were a number of different titles. So, sorry? Yeah, nursing aid. Yeah, in Australia we called them nursing aides, but we're getting there. We're still at the turn of the century. Following the establishment of the nursing schools and formal education, of course, was the pursuit of registration and formal licensing for nurses. Now, I have no explanation for the horse, but I can explain what the other photos are. So, actually up the top left-hand corner there, that's the first registered nurse in the world. Now, does anybody know where she's from? Have a stab. No. Unfortunately, no. Which country? No. Not Ireland, no. Think about across the ditch. New Zealand. Isn't that amazing? 1901, first they introduced the first Nurses Act in the world and they had the first registered nurse. Underneath her is with the horse. She's actually a real nurse, not a vet nurse, but that's the first Maori 
nurse, first Maori registered nurse, and that's in 1908. Maybe that's... <laughs> when you've got a good joke, say it louder. Um, so then moving across is the top middle there is Ida Jane Anderson. She's the first registered nurse in the US. That was 1904. And then underneath her, Ethel Gordon Fenwick, is not until 1923 in the UK. Then we were all in the 20s. So those pictures on the right there, that's a PA up the top, Prince Alfred Hospital, and South Australia underneath. Um, they all do look to me as well, not the one with the horse, but a bit scary. And I guess how, how tough would it have been to get that at that time? So, of course, because gaining registration was critically important, both for standards of healthcare, but also for the advancement of nursing and licensing, advancement of nursing and increasing its status as a profession. But what was happening was that in the pursuit of registration at that level, it meant they had to make a gap. There had to be necessary distinctions and differentiations between trained and qualified and professional nurses and the untrained nurses. That's the nursing assistants at that time. So what do you think that meant for the second level group of nurses? Yeah. What did you say up the back? Well, that's always been the case, always. But it meant that they were getting left in a group that wasn't attracting the high regard from society. So, but then an event came that actually really started the ball rolling for what we're calling the second level nurse, but for that, um, and started the development of that level of nurse that eventually becomes our enrolled nurse. What was that? Now you all know that. Yeah, war. So the creation and employment of the nurses aid really was largely driven, in a formal sense, was largely driven by two factors, by war and the shortages that war created. The world wars created a demand for nurses, of course, that had never seen before and created massive shortages, both what you needed out in the actual war setting, but at home as well. And forced progress. I mean, it may sound bizarre, you may be aware, but for all their evils, wars actually result in all sorts of developments, especially, especially in healthcare, because kind of it's the old, you know, um, necessity is the mother of invention. So it results in technological, professional and sociological developments and significant advancements in healthcare and consequently for the profession. So in turn, it's led to the advancement and de development in healthcare professions, including nursing. And that's just what started to happen from the First World War with the emergence of the second level nurse. Do you have any idea who that is? Somebody said it. Did you say it? Everyone, but Amelia who? Amelia Earhart. 
was a nurse's aide. That's how she started in the world. So you can take over the world. <laughs> or at least fly around it, that's right. So by 1909, the Red Cross, so she was for the Red Cross because the Red Cross really got nursing going and really got nurses' aides going. It was started by a nurse, you know that, by a US nurse called Clara Barton. And so when the wars came, it had to rapidly expand. In the US, its main task, of course, was to provide trained nurses for the US Army and Navy. The service, for the First World War, they had managed to get 23,822 nurses. Then almost 20,000 of them got sent to active duty, and there were more than 2,000 nurses' aides who were given some training, but who also were enlisted into the war effort, but also back in the country because there was the great flu epidemic of the, that, I think it was in 1918. So they were the people staffing the hospitals back at home. Again, like kind of amazingly to me, but the growth of the, this growth started to happen all over the world, including Australia, and demand for nurses and nurses' aides started to increase expo exponentially. Now, with the demand comes the need for recruitment. So do you, do you know what those are? So their recruitment, of course, the recruitment posters before, one's from the US and one's from Australia. Which one's which? <laughs> yeah, who's the glossy, glam, pretty one? And who's the one, if you're standing, we'll take you. <laughs> Actually, I reckon, yes, yeah, so you're right. The US is the left, of course, um, and the right is the Australian poster, which is much more practical. And kind of, when you look at it, gives a bit of a suggestion of the war behind, like it's not, you know, but it's a bit, bit barren, but it's a great old poster. So, of course, because the intense increase in demand meant that governments and defence departments were desperate for nurses, so the recruitment drive was very active. But interestingly, the war involvement and activity of nurses helped develop the path of the trained nurse and re-establish society's high esteem for nurses, something which had been absent and then struggling for centuries. But I would say still not so much for the second level nurse. But with the clear establishment of the nurses' aides path, the full development for the role of the second level nurse had at least begun. And of course, started to spread across the world, including to Australia. So they're actually voluntary aid detachments, they were called, catchy title, VADs apparently, who were primarily nurses' aides in Australia. So they were created for the First World War. Their role at that time was a nurse, pretty much a nursing orderly in hospitals, carrying out menial but essential tasks, scrubbing floors, sweeping, dusting, um, and cleaning the bathrooms, dealing with bedpans, and also about washing patients. So still a, but a little bit of direct um, care. They weren't employed in military hospitals, not in Australia, but they worked in hospitals back at home. Um, they started in the First World War but weren't allowed officially to travel overseas and be part of the actual activity. So many chose to travel on their own and joined the British detachments often in Australian hospitals out on the battlefields. So that policy was changed in 1916 and det detachment of Australian 
dads, nursing aides, were uh, to serve overseas became official. Then the role here in Australia, that role didn't really develop very much between the wars. In the, by the Second World War, these people were given more medical training, but they still weren't becoming fully qualified nurses. They worked at that time on convalescent, in convalescent hospitals on hospital ships and the blood bank, as well as on the home front. But in the US and Canada, So do you know what that is? It's a capping ceremony, which apparently was very big at the time, getting your cap. Now, I doesn't know, I'm not actually even sure whether that's entry into the school or whether that's graduation from the school. Um, so in the US and Canada, there was a deliberate strategy of increasing the use of nurse aides as nurse assistant personnel in uh, civilian hospitals. In the 1930s, do you know what enrolled nurse is called in the States? Yeah, LPN, licensed practical nurse or licensed vocational nurse in a couple of areas. So the, L, uh, the, L, the LPN nurse movement began and it became more formalised even by the 1940s. LPNs were nurses educated in short programs but still usually about a year in length and they carried up basic nursing care um, under the supervision of a registered nurse. Now, the short training programs appeal for LPNs appealed to hospital administrators who had massive shortages and who needed nurses fast. But the lower cost associated with LPNs added to their attractiveness. And since educational requirements for uh, admissions to the schools weren't quite as difficult, they thought that they would be able to attract a wider population of students and add substantial numbers to the nurse workforce. So by the Second World War, they were being heavily relied upon. Um, and during the war, the use of nurses' aides, both those who worked in a voluntary capacity and regular hospital employees increased dramatically. And hospital administrators continued to find them very attractive because of their low costs and flexibility. Now, I just want you to start to think of whether anything's now starting to sound a little familiar. Nurses' aides received training, enabling them to be moved around the hospital as needed and assigned a variety of functions. The training period was short, but pr principally at this point, because nursing aides remained unlicensed, hospitals felt free to use them as they saw best although intended to extend the work of, nursing, of nurses by serving in an assistive capacity, both LPNs and nurses' aides were frequently and often inappropriately used as registered nurse substitutes. Just other little things to keep holding on to. It was after the Second World War that the acute nursing shortages forced hospital administrators, governments and regulators to take the development of the second level nurse more seriously. So starting again in which country? New Zealand. New Zealand. In 1939, official licensing of the second level nurse began and it spread throughout the world um, in the 40s and 50s. Official training schools all over the place, including in Australia, there was a nursing aid, the first nursing aid school opened in um, Melbourne in the very early 50s, but they were opened up across the world. 
Now, this apparently is a licensed practical nursing school in Ohio in the 50s. I'm not sure what you're learning at this school. <laughs> but you may have had quite a bit of fun. <laughs> but that's an actual photo. <laughs> as the second and the second level nurse started to become variously registered, registered as a nurse's aide, a second division nurse, enrolled nurse, LPN, L and LVN is the licensed vocational nurse. Basically, this was just legitimising what was already happening in hospitals because there had been, for years, unqualified nursing assistants performing these sorts of roles. But what was seen by the profession at the time was this formalised, made it official, gave people a proper training, proper licence, and put nursing work into the hands of qualified nurses and started to increase the professional status of the second level nurse. A bit. There was, it's, I think it's fair to say there was still something of a gap in attitude between the first level and the second level nurse. In Australia, it was argued the introduction of the nursing aid would widen the field of recruitment by you know, accessing those people who hadn't been able to get into nursing, but also, to do something with the massive immigrant influx that was happening after the war and also local labour. Nursing aides were expected to perform many basic duties, although these varied from one hospital to another. They depended on the preferences of the matron and whether there were enough registered nurses around. So while nursing aides were not allowed to perform simple dressings in a general hospital, they were allowed to in geriatric institutions because of the shortage of registered nurses. Now, I'm asking you again, does anything sound familiar there? Now, initially, professional nurses associations would not accept them as members, not even the ANF in the beginning. And in some places, the attitude towards the second level nurse was even worse. Now, I just want you to have a kind of close look at this photo. That's the US in the 1950s. And this photo. Now, is there anything you notice? So the enrolled nurses are black people. And who's telling them what to do? The white registered nurse. Now, I've got to say, it actually makes me feel a little uncomfortable because what is that saying? What kind of attitude is this? Now, that, that photo, uh, the second photo of just the nurses, that's as late, that's in the UK, and that's as late as 1977. Right? And these people, by and large, even if they had the qualifications to get into the enrolled nursing course, weren't it, uh, sorry, the registered nursing course, weren't admitted. They were told they had to be enrolled nurses. And no, it's, I find it shocking. It makes me feel uncomfortable because this is a double attitude thing. What does it say, one, about how we regard black people? I mean, we know that. But what does it say about how we regard enrolled nurses at that time? So, any... Beg your pardon? I kind of did. Um, yeah, that's right. It reflected what was happening in society. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really struggle. That's why I thought the picture of the Maori nurse was very interesting. How different is that? And I really struggled to find information about what we did, how we tried to encourage Aboriginal nurses, particularly with regard to enrolled nurses. I mean, we didn't even let them vote till 1967. So, you know, Aboriginal people in general. So, so, so I said this would be a little bit provocative. So this is actually how, how we were regarding people, but things did continue to develop. Now, what era is this? <laughs> Showing the knees. 70s. 70s, yeah. So, again, it was pretty hard to find some pictures, but on the left, that's an enrolled nurse's uniform in Australia in the 70s. That's a South Australian enrolled nurse. In the middle is a UK enrolled nurse. And, of course, what would the other one be? America. Where else would they look like that? So that's... <laughs> That is, um, actually my mum's a nurse and I can kind of remember her looking a bit like that. But she, um, but that's a licensed practical nursing school in the 70s in the um, US. So in Australia, training was improving. Professional organisations started to open their membership to nursing aides. So, and by the 80s, registration boards began registering nursing aides as enrolled nurses. So, registration did start in Australia of nursing aides um, from the 50s and started to spread across the country, but it wasn't kind of, wasn't really full kind of registration as we would regard it today. It took three decades to work towards that properly. As the education of registered nurses came under increasing scrutiny and review, so too, of course, did the training and education of enrolled nurses. As registered nursing education moved into universities, enrolled nurse education moved into TAFEs and colleges. Registration boards started including enrolled nurses as members of their board so that finally enrolled nurses had one of their own to represent them and to speak for them rather than having registered nurses speak for them. Apologies to Rebecca Roseby. I did warn her. So Rebecca wasn't the first enrolled nurse to be on the New South Wales board, but she was a member of the New South Wales board. Do you know Rebecca? You do now. Um, sorry? If you don't look like that. Um, and it's kind of, it's been, as you say, I did quite enjoy putting this together, but it's been interesting for me to note, and this was starting to happen around the country, right? Enrolled nurses actually being included and allowed to make the contribution on behalf of enrolled nursing. It's kind of interesting to me that from the mid-1850s for about 100 years, literally, really, about 100 years later, registered nurses carried on so much because who was on their boards? Doctors, so they were so sick of and annoyed with doctors speaking for them, but they turned around and did that to enrolled nurses. You know, so it takes a while for us to develop. Nonetheless, this was changing and enrolled nurses started to be represented on a wider range of committees that mattered. And enrolled nursing continued to develop. Indeed, by the early 90s, 1994, and I think later in 1994, in specialist professional, 
Professional Enrolled Nurse Association started to develop with the Enrolled Nurse Professional Association in New South Wales and the national, NINA, there's a National Enrolled Nurse Association. But for, so these things were starting to happen in Australia. This was a very encouraging developments. But for a change, the trend was not universal across the Western world. So enrolled nursing was in advancing in Australia, in the United States and Canada. But do you know, I bet you know, what happened in the UK? Yeah, they stopped training them. Do you know what happened in, for once, New Zealand took a wrong step. Yeah, so New Zealand and the UK stopped the training of enrolled nurses. Now, after a decade or so, New Zealand quickly realised the error of their ways. They reintroduced the enrolled nurse with an expanded generic scope of practice, enabling the New Zealand enrolled nurse to have a greater role in assessment and work as part of a team with RNs and other health professionals across all settings. But the UK didn't. They still haven't. So what do you reckon happened? With well, shortage, but what happens in the shortage? Do you know what happened in the UK? Absolutely, they brought in two levels of healthcare assistance to fill that gap. Now, these things happen because there was this whole conversation, where's the profession of nursing going? You know, healthcare's rapidly advancing. Everybody has to keep keeping up. So, but they made, and of course, so it's related to health needs, growing population, increasingly sophisticated care, and money. Of course, how can they spend the least possible money? But what a mistake. So, just this year, just right now, the UK is turning around and saying, looks like we might need a second level of a proper nursing worker. So they've finally, and this is more than 20 years that they've stopped training. I think they actually stopped training in 1982. That's right. So it's, it's an interesting point because we may have been smarter in a way. So the US has this bizarro system. They have, there's like three different training levels that can lead to an RN. So you can be very, and they have lots of nurse practitioners. But so where you are just, there's a diploma RN, but there's a diploma LPN, so they are really close. They're such a huge population, they've got so many needs, they kind of seem to make it work. And they reckon that they've already got, they've got 700,000 LPNs in the States, and they reckon that demand over the next few years is gonna increase 17%. So, you know, it's, it's a really vibrant, active thing. Yeah, in, but we made a bit more of a di distinction. I think we may, you are free to disagree and have it as discussed at any point, but, had a bit of a better role differentiation. So, whereas in the UK, yeah, they couldn't, because also their registered nurses weren't going into unis yet. They hadn't, they hadn't really taken their registered nurses to that different level. So they're, and they've got shortages like of all, all of them. Their ratios are terrible, like they're in a, a tough situation. Um, but I would argue that happily in Australia, we made no such mistake. Instead, we 
implemented a national curriculum and national education for enrolled nurses. So we started that in 2005 and that was done by 2007. We implemented a nationally consistent scope of practice. Now that's to begin with, okay? That's what you're educated to start with I'm talking about. I would argue that we created a national enrolled nurse identity and a national portability of enrolled nurse skills. So that's the range of things that you, this is a modern day enrolled nurse. In fact, they're Western Australian enrolled nurses. The sorts of things you learn. You now work across the country. So I think you would recognise the New South Wales people you would, that also are Western Australians, there's South Australians, and there's the bottom left-hand corner is people from a private hospital, and there's people from Victoria, and again, South Australia, and the fellow down with the kid is from Queensland. So you work across a range of settings across the country in all sorts of areas, and looking at these photos, you are also deliriously happy. <laughs> now, I want you to think about it, because I'm going to ask you in a bit about whether I'm just talking nonsense or whether this is actually the case. So, I'll just tell you where we are. Philippe mentioned earlier about some figures from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. Actually, just a couple of days ago, they put out their latest report, their Nursing and Midwifery Workforce Report, which is just from 2015. You know when you do your registration? and you have to fill out that workforce survey, that's what this is based on. So this is, I don't have a thing where I can see it very well. So you can see almost so the vast proportion of nurses work um, uh, clinically. And there's a big proportion of enrolled nurses who work clinically. So enrolled nurses in Australia are pretty much half and half where they work half in the public sector, this is across the country, and half in the private sector, which would include aged care as well. It's probably reasonable to say that nowhere else in the world, in the Western world, has enrolled nurses in their public sector as such a dominant feature. Even though there's so many of them in the US, and they, you know, and they're, you know, very supported and they're actively recruited, their percentage in public hospitals, because they don't have public hospitals much in the US, their percentage in hospitals, I should say, is not as much. They tend to work in what they call long-term care, long-day care, like aged care. and the, They're still there in hospitals, but not as much as Australia. Um, so there are 60,000 plus nurses registered as enrolled nurses with more than 51,000 FTE, so that's more people um, in the workforce. Now, the next one, so enrolled nurses and registered nurses, of course, work across the country, but you can see that in the regional and rural areas, how critical the enrolled nurse workforce is. Is anybody here from the country? You are also very critical in the city hospitals. Um, so we would argue that Australia has continued to invest in enrolled nursing as a critical component of the healthcare workforce and of the nursing 
profession. And we would say as the backbone of the system. But now, now this is where I'd like you to really talk. Um, I'd like to know what you think. What's your experience? And go back to the questions that we started this conversation with. And do you think that enrolled nursing in Australia is actually what I've described? Or is your experiencing something different? Do you work to your full scope of practice? Or are you restricted and contained by inconsistent hospital and government policies? Are you free to work across the country? Do you feel threatened in any area? Do people know the unique contribution and value of enrolled nursing to the health system? Open for discussion. What do you think? Am I talking nonsense? Still at the back? Sorry, I'd just like to ask, you know how you said that we weren't becoming obsolete? Oh, well, that the general thing was that we were feeling like we were being pushed out. I was speaking to an enrolled, uh, actually I was speaking to a student nurse the other day and she chose to become an RN because when she looked into going to the college, the university, it cost her just as much, if not a little bit more, to do the EN course than it did to do the RN course. So therefore, if we're not becoming obsolete, why is that so? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, and I'm not, like, I'm not saying, I'm asking the questions. And because I'm acutely aware that, no, no, and it's a let's talk about, oh, hello, let's talk about it, because I'm a registered nurse standing up here telling you what I think enrolled nursing is. Yeah, so, so that's, yeah, that's a good question. Can I just say one thing? In looking at this, and I was looking at across the world, um, how do you, we, we, you know, uh, the, how do you become an advanced level in enrolled nursing? How do you expand your scope of practice? How do you operate at a different level? So I researched all of this. What do you reckon was the first thing that came up? Absolutely. Every single country. Like, that's the path. Right? And I see what you're saying. Why wouldn't somebody, when you think, well, I can get a thing that's going to pay me more, um, for the same amount of investment in the beginning. So let's just, so we need to, we can't answer that right now. Like we can't change it right now. It doesn't mean we can't change it. But let's just think about that or hold on to that. Philippe, were you gonna? One of the things I just wanted to add to that is that we have brought that up, uh, the, the fact that enrolled nurse training is costing a lot of money. So there, there was a recent inquiry into TAFE in New South Wales. One of the things we did, we sat, on, we sat in on that inquiry, we actually went and gave evidence and we spoke about the cost of enrolled nursing was increasing and increasing. And once again, it's that you know government, the New South Wales government tearing away at TAFE. Um, so it's costing a lot of money quite often out in the, in the country areas. It's more expensive to do ENZ than it is in the city. So it's something we've certainly flagged with the government uh, in regards to the cost of enrolled nursing. So yeah, it's something we've It's also well that something that's not actually universal across the country. So, of course, New South Wales stopped their training the way they did it in about 2008 and went into the TAFE system. And, of course, those fees are, like, <coughs> would melt you when you first see them. But um, then there were a whole range of scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. No one else in the country 
had that system. They'd already taken it out of the hospitals in the way that we had it. So their enrolled nurses for years had been, a trainee I mean, through, had been paid through Department of Education, not through Department of Health. And that's all it is, it's flicking the money to somebody else. So they, in, a, in um, Victoria, they have a really strong enrolled nurse workforce, really strong, and they have used a trainee system for many, many years. So there are some po possible options to consider. The other interesting thing is when we talk to TAFE about that, people are still going to TAFE and becoming enrolled nurses. So don't think that people aren't training as, in, as enrolled nurses because they're actually paying. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting, again, in looking at this, and it's a thing about, I think it's an attitude thing, that there are some countries overseas who won't let immigrants go into a registered nurse course. You can only go into an enrolled nurse course. So these are things to consider in thinking about fighting for your future. Now, I think there were a couple of questions here as well. Yes, now we've yeah. got, I'm letting you know, 10 minutes. Other, and the other thing is, when you get enrolled nurses, our, our age, for, age of the working force is increasing and sometimes physically being able to do the intensive hand-on care, some of us are getting to a stage where we can't do it, but we still want to be able to contribute. You've also got the cross thing regarding trying to get into general practice and the limitations regarding the scope where they're wanting you to do vaccinations and we're not legally covered in any way. Yeah. That's exploitation. That's I remember I asked you a question right at the beginning. Are the skills of enrolled nurses exploited? So consider that. Philippe, there's a, just a question yes, down the front as well. That's better. He's over here now. <laughs> just um, something I've noticed as well in all my years of enrolled nursing, and it doesn't seem to get any better on education. Why are there no enrolled nurse educators? Why are all the educators in hospitals registered nurses? Does someone have an answer? Do you have an answer for that? I'm an educator. Are you a... Are you... Are you... And you're an enrolled nurse? No. No, you're not an enrolled nurse. Right. Yeah, you know what, Susan and I, so I, I used to work here, right? Um, Susan and I worked a lot with enrolled nurses and with TAFE, some of you would know Chris Manwaring from years ago, with TAFE, and we talked about it back then, about having enrolled nurse educators, because I bet you'd do a great job. I also bet that you guys would be, because many of you would mentor new grad RNs, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Question up the back, Philippe. So we're holding a number of things, right? We're looking at access to education and making that a reasonable cost. We're talking about potential exploitation around scopes of practice. We're looking at what roles could be more meaningful for things like having enrolled nurses having input into education of enrolled nurses. And, yep. Yeah, one here and one I'm here. I'm just going to say, my original registration was a nurse's aide. Yeah, right. I did go to the... Mate, you don't look it. 
105. Um, <laughs> and I did go to the UK in 94 and worked as an untrained nurse. Right. I work in a private institution in Newcastle now, have done for nearly 20 years in this one place. I used to train, along with a lot, another enrolled nurse, a lot of the new staff being registered nurses and enrolled. I did a cert for it became null and void when mm. they decided to bring in all CNSs. We used to sign off on competencies, yeah, right. everything else like that, and this other person and I, they used to come to us and we went to do the tower courses, the Olympus, Smith and Nevue, the laser, you know, all that sort of thing, and it was sort of like, you know, I, I will, this other person, they'd always come to us but we're not allowed to do that anymore. We're not allowed to train. We do men mentor them and they do buddy with us, not allowed to sign them off. Just because it has this EN, yeah. our Cert 4s are gone, the RNs are gone and gone there, got their Cert 4s, and that's yeah, where we sit today. Yeah, and it'll right. never change while all the RNs are able to grow up the education <coughs> ladder. So, okay, so, so that's... I, that's my thoughts on it, and I think that's what happens with the RNs. They get the education bit behind their RN, whereas the ENs... Yeah, so that's a bit of a squeeze above, because as that career... And, of course, you know, we've, we're the union. We fight like the blazers for the development of a career pathway. So that's happening up there, but there's being forgotten what could be... Not, not just incredibly useful for enrolled nursing as a profession, but also for its, like for its future. Also, like, value, somewhere for you to, you know, not everyone wants to go and be an RN, but you want to have some extensions and more, perhaps a bigger, wider input into enrolled nursing. We've just got Rebecca at the front. Um, I've asked that question about enrolled nurses teaching in TAFEs and things before. Yeah. And it all boils down to that enrolled nurses work under supervision of the RN and the RN is above us and we have to be taught by the persons of who is our supervisors or whatever they term them, put the terminology in. There are a lot of enrolled nurses that have this a certificate for in education um, and have used it for other things but yes, they cannot be seen to be... Even though we mentor, we do the all that sort of thing, we have to then report to the educators and say, oh, this person's okay, so, you know, blah, 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 you can sign them off and talk to them about that. Yeah. But we'll ne never be... They don't seem to want to accept it that enrolled nurses can teach others. Christine? No, doctors just think they tell everybody what to do. But yeah, that's right. We've yeah, yeah. Can we use the mic? Sorry, because people can't hear. So they will just say the difference is you can't carry the keys to the SA cupboard, and that is the yeah. What does that mean? It's the end. 
question here. On that note, you're talking about us not being able to carry the keys. My question is, when is our rate of pay going to change? We've got RNs who are only a few more years um, out of college. Their rate of pay is so much higher than mine. Quite often I do much more in the workplace than they do. My knowledge base is far greater than theirs, but I'm not re recompensed for it. You know, we, our rate of pay is so low, we don't go anywhere, but we do exactly the same work except hand that Schedule 8 drug. We sign it, we check it, we do all that, we don't hang that um, vancomycin and gentamicin, but we do everything else. We do all the dressings, the vac dressings, everything. So, yeah, that's my question is, when is the rate of pay going to be more it equal? It is the perennial problem. And there is a thing of, it's viewed from an industrial perspective. So there is this question of relativities. So when we have registered nurses and we have enrolled nurses and we have AINs on a pay scale, you've got to manage your overlaps. This is from an industrial perspective. This is not necessarily talking about the professional contribution. Right, that's made. So we've got, and I, it's frustrating. I understand it's frustrating. But I stand here as a registered nurse, right, who is a big, I would like to think that you would believe me, big supporter of enrolled nurses, but I'm not an enrolled nurse. And I don't understand exactly your experience and what you really want, but you do. So it's what do you want your future to be because basically and really it's up to you we'll go with you but it's up to you you now I know I'm standing here telling you what to do but to drive forward you need to articulate your unique contribution you need to explain it to people you need to get more active on a range of different committees you need to educate people you need to get on things that influence workplace policies and healthcare policies. You've started doing it and it's had an effect. But if you really want to ensure your future and keep working on these issues that we've talked about, you need to stand up and get organised. I know I'm telling you, but I'm just saying, okay? There's more than 60,000 of you across the country, you know, registered as enrolled nurses. Do you know how many members there are of NINA? 92. And I've just been told by Rebecca and Christine that there's 80 in EMPA. Now that's less than 0.2%. Now I know you're members of the union and that's great on a broad range, but you need to get together to stand up for you. Because what's your relevance? It's whatever you make it. Thank you very much.